The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. Hi, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to the Secrets of Star Wars podcast. May the Force be with you always. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, episode 167. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a deity. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force, and I fear nothing. Remember... The Force will be with you, always. Hi, I'm Robert King, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we talk about the deeper themes and meanings found in everything connected to that galaxy far, far away. Today, we're discussing a couple more episodes of Visions Season 2. Joining me today on the panel are Catherine Lafferty. Hello. And Patrick Mason. Howdy, howdy. It's great to have you both with me. Let's just get into this. Um, Today we're talking about episodes seven and eight of Visions season two. So this is that animated series of short films um, that don't quite take place in canon, but are inspired by the Star Wars universe. Um, The first one we're going to talk about is called The Bandits of Golak, and the other one is called The Pit. So... The Bandits of Golak follows a young man and his even younger sister, and the sister is Force-sensitive. The Empire will pay many credits for kids like her, and apparently has already killed their parents, so they flee for their lives aboard a train. After a great chase sequence on the train and nearly getting caught, they get off in the middle of nowhere and seek refuge at Adaba, which is a sort of truck stop and motel combined. Um, but an inquisitor has been following them and they are only saved from the inquisitor by a Jedi who has been keeping peace at the Daba. The Jedi takes the girl, Rani to join more like her and the boy Charuk goes off to find his own way. Um, so as I like to do with all of these visions episodes, um, I want to start by talking a little about the animation style and, and Catherine, you're our artist in residence here. Um, do you have any thoughts, uh, or, or insights about the animators or the animation style here? I really love this color that they brought to this um being a studio out of india they brought all the great colors from india into this so just like i've heard other um star wars animators and artists talk about that combination of a little real world a little fantasy they did such a good job blending um star wars with um, the culture and colors of India. I really love that. It was fascinating though. When I first watched it, I felt like I was watching an episode of Clone Wars from like the later seasons because it had oh, almost yeah. that same animation feel. And then, um, 
I decided to watch the little behind the scenes and to hear them talking about the American artist that they base their painterly style on. Then I had to go back and look at it again. So they said that um, one of the lead uh, like design uh, artists had told them to look at the art of Edwin Lord Weeks. And he was an American painter. Um, his family's from Boston and they were spice and tea traders. And they sent their son out to see the world. Um, this is in the 18, late 1800s into the 1880s. So kind of a trendy thing to do if you had some money to send your son to see the world. And uh, he also studied his painting and he was working in the academic style. If you get the chance to look up his artwork, especially his work from India, you're going to start to see what the animators are drawing their inspiration from. These strong contrasts big expansive landscapes and uh, very, I mean, his work is so photorealistic at times. I had to zoom in to make sure it was really a painting. So it was quite incredible work for the time period. Wow. Yeah. I did not dig that deep. Um. <laughs> well, you guys keep asking me, so I got to keep digging deeper to come up with new stuff. <laughs> well, this is why we keep asking you. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, that's fantastic. I, um, I, I did a little research on the studio itself, um, which like was apparently founded as a, an international consortium from the beginning, um, basically spanning India and Canada. Um, but yeah, with, with a lot of, of deep roots in India and, um, yeah, it, it, I don't know. I, I also loved the color and the vibrancy of it and the way, I mean, I think all of these animators had the challenge to make it feel like its own world. And at the same time, feel like star Wars. And I think these, um, this, uh, studio called 88, 88 pictures. Um, I think they did a great job at that. Yeah, it, Patrick, it reminded you, yeah. It, it reminded me a lot of um, modern video games. That like, if you go and pick up like whatever the latest Star Wars game that came out, say, um, God, I'm trying to remember. It's not the Acolyte. It's either way. <laughs> it's going to be graphically very similar. Uh, maybe not necessarily the gameplay, but the cutscenes. If is, you watch the cutscenes, Outlaws the latest one you're thinking of. I think so. Yeah. 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 And you and and even the um, the gameplays come just a long, long way uh, recently in a short amount of time. But it reminds me a lot of sort of like the cutting edge. What you find very, like you said, very photorealistic, right? It's it's getting closer and closer and closer to that. Actually, looks like actually looks like people. Um, and so I thought that was pretty interesting. I, I'm wondering, have and have either of you been to India or um, had any experience in in that part of the world in South Asia? And I've never been to India, but I had a social studies teacher in high school who had done a summer in India, and to write off his trip as a educational trip, he <laughs> made us watch all of his 
movies <laughs> and <laughs> slides. <laughs> so it was quite uh, fascinating. I mean, you know, he told us all his little stories and showed some great pictures to us. And then um, my best friend in high school was from India and we played uh, softball together. And so she was always sharing her culture and um, she lived close to the school. So when there was a break between school and practice, we'd head over to her house and her mom would always make sure to have out snacks that her American friends could eat without burning their mouths. <laughs> so, yeah. Nice, nice. So, good yeah. old Asha, one of my best friends. <laughs> yeah. I, I've done a little travel of my own, um, not to India, but uh, a little bit uh, around China, a little bit around the U.S. and Canada, a little bit around Europe. Um little in the Eastern Mediterranean. Um, and yeah, just the vibe of the train, like those first shots on the train just brought back both the experiences I've had on packed trains around, <laughs> around the world. We don't do that very much here in the U S but, but other parts of the world, the trains, they just pack them. And and it also reminded me a lot of uh, stories I've heard from uh, immigrants and refugees that I've talked to. Um, I, yeah, just just the sense of the depth of the sense of the world in just that uh, kind of initial setting was was impressive to me. It had that kind of epic Hollywood feel, too. You know, like Lawrence of Arabia, kind of just big epic. You could, you know, see this as like a big screen, long movie with all these great, you know, shots of trains coming from the distance and then riders over the hills. Yeah, it just kind of had that big epic film feel. Oh, yeah. I I hadn't thought of it that way, but you're you're absolutely like, yeah, the, those great David Lean kind of... um Cinema, cinematographic uh, landscapes and, and so on. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, especially like when the the uh, the writers, the um, oh gosh, what were they called? The uh, the insurgents, the um, oh, I should have made a note on this. Um, there were so many neat names. I couldn't remember which goes. Yeah, with <laughs> but the, the writers who were coming up along the train and and um, I, yeah, that that very much had a had a kind of classic Hollywood kind of train chase sequence feel to it. Yeah, I think it, for me it was interesting because one of the you know the things I guess the British laid out in India was the rail system while they were in charge of India, right? Um, mm. And then you have you know, the, the revolution and then eventually those split India and Pakistan. Uh, and both of those occurrences, you have these very like iconic images of these super packed trains and people fleeing from one place to another. And it's, it's interesting because you have the same sort of, uh, thing going on where you get, it's obvious this train is imperial, is an imperial train, right? You've got the the guy running it, like the engineer up front calling for backup, and the backup are these speeders with stormtroopers on it, and it's got stormtroopers. So it's very similar, like this this is the British imperial train, but it's being used by these refugees 
from the British, <laughs> like to to escape. Right, and right. You get the same thing with the you know the bandits, these two kids who are using it to escape, like the Empire, and you have this some kind of feel. I, that's that's what I took away, um, at least from the use of the train uh, to do this sequence. It was a sort of a, a callback. Yeah. And in the extra um, behind the scenes, they actually show you the original um, sketches for those scenes. And they were more like that. It was a classic old train and the riders were still on horses in these black and white sketches that developed mm. those scenes. So it's neat to see its progress from almost historical photos to Star Wars. Yeah. I mean, this is something Star Wars has always done well, or or maybe it's something that is always an element when Star Wars is done well, is that mm -hmm. kind of mashing of genres together, of, of um, and especially that mashing of Eastern and Western genres together. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. I love the horses. I mean, they weren't horses, but they were, whatever they were, they were awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Those were oh, a yeah. lot of fun to they watch. Cool. The riding beasts. Yes. Yeah, they were cool. Yeah. It's just one of those things you have to watch it and stop it and just kind of go, oh, wait, what's going on in the background? You know, kind of like, I mean, any Star Wars, there's so much cool stuff in the background. And there's one scene I stopped it on as the train was going through almost like a tunnel section of the canyon. Mm. And I had just gotten done looking at um, Weeks paintings. And there was a scene that looked just like one of his paintings where you have almost a tunnel or an archway and there's brilliant blue sky behind the archway and everything else is just kind of chaotic and busy and dusty on the other side. So you're kind of trying to like go from this beautiful blue sky and total chaos. Yeah. So it's you pretty know, cool. It, it also reminds me of like two other Star Wars, like I say classic, but two other Star Wars train sequences because you've got the one in the Mandalorian uh, season two where he's wearing the stormtrooper armor because they're sneaking into that base. Right. He, he gets punched and he's like, oh man, this is not good armor. But <laughs> um, <laughs> and, yeah. um, and then the one from Rogue One um, with Empress Nest and the, them trying to steal the coaxium. And at the very beginning of Rogue One starts the same way, right? With the train that they're chasing. Uh, are you thinking of Solo? Um, oh, you're right. Shoot. I, I am thinking of Solo. Solo. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yes. Wrong movie. Yes. I apologize. Please, yeah, don't, same error. please don't roast me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Solo. Yeah. I know a lot of people are trying to forget Solo. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it, though. <laughs> so did I. Oh, man. I, it wasn't uh, that bad. <laughs> we, we, we need to do a... I, I don't know if we... We probably have done a an episode on solo, but I would love to do another one just like revisit it. I think it's, it's worth a revisit, but, um, yeah, yeah. Well, let's, let's get into the, the things that makes this train different, the characters and the, the, what they're doing. Um, I love the dynamic between, uh, Charuk and Ronnie. Um, their, uh, you know, that brother sister dynamic was, was really, uh, powerful and um i yeah i just i just loved what was going on with that um what what were your thoughts about our heroes for this story it's just neat to see that sibling dynamic you know it's all through star wars and this one was a little different because she was just full of mischief and mm -hmm. 
yet so innocent, not realizing that what she's doing is making it really bad for her brother to try to figure things out. You know, the great uh, distraction with the treats was awesome. Playing bandits on the train. (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's like he comes up with this game. It's like, okay, I know how to fix this. I'll come up with this game. This bandits game, and it ends up like backfiring on him. <laughs> God, yeah, yeah. How how old would you would you peg them at? I mean, he he seems to be like a, a solid teenager, probably sixteen or eight, maybe even eighteen. But um, she seemed very young to me. Yeah, they seem like six to eight years apart, almost. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, yeah, I'd call. Like, yeah, if if he's sixteen, she's eight. eight yeah, <laughs> I'd call her eight and him like fifteen or sixteen. Yeah, because she she really did seem to like not have a clear grasp of the danger that they were in, um, and because uh, I didn't I didn't get any like intentional, um, like uh, like she wasn't taking intentional risks she was just she was just playing because she's a kid and she plays and that's what that's how she relates to her brother and um right because you see that when her when she asks about her dad and you know is he okay and her brother's like "Uh, i don't want to tell you what actually happened so i'll just tell you he's fine but it still keeps her in that space of being a kid. It's sort of like the protection of the innocence, but it's also mm-hmm. like if you if you act like nothing can go wrong for us, then we're we're dead. Like they're they're gonna find yeah. us and get us. I feel like she was sheltered for so long that she was allowed to play with her, you know, force powers in a way that she was never afraid to use them. So yeah. now she's in the world where she's not sheltered and it can actually get her killed. So she doesn't quite grasp that yet. I don't think she understands what her brother's going through to try to get her to safety. Well, that's something that we haven't seen a lot of. I mean, a lot of times the the children who are discovering their force powers, it's either like I'm thinking of the... Um, the Ahsoka episodes of the tales of the Jedi where she was like, it was a thing of, of wonder and awe. And she was immediately kind of set apart from everyone else, or it's something to be kind of hidden and, 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 and kept quiet. And, you know, you don't, you don't let anyone know about it because it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. And here she, yeah, she seems to have this, this freedom to kind of just explore. And it's like, this is just part of who I am. And her brother and her family seem not to have like said, oh, this makes you different. It's just, oh, here's, here's a thing that you do. And that's just mm-hmm. part of who you are. And, and that's. I know. I think that that's kind of rare in Star Wars stories. Yeah. I mean, the closest they came to this was in um, an episode of Rebels where they were rushing in to save, except they were infants, not children that were being hunted down. And mm-hmm. so it was a little different there because they were 
completely innocent and unaware that they had force powers. But still, like Ezra was trying to calm the children by just, you know, they're like, come on, Ezra, you can do this. You're young. He's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's trying to calm a crying baby. Like, okay, yeah. got to use the force somehow, Ezra. <laughs> what What did you think of that uh, Bandit's game they were play, playing? I loved the... I'm trying to remember the, what they the said. Free... What was the phrase? Yeah, they said when they, they did the hand thing. It was, um, oh gosh, it, it was, the, the rhyme was, uh, sweets and plunder and feasts and wonder. I, that's, that's what I'm remembering. I think I've got it somewhere here. Um, yeah, here it, I found it in the pursuit of sweets and plunder, the bandits ride for feast and wonder. <laughs> I think it was good. I think it strikes like that kind of, um, I'm too old for kids games chord, but in the we're like, this is our connection to each other. Um, especially when it comes around to the end, like when they do it the second time when they're saying goodbye effectively and they're saying like this, this is our game, right? This is the thing we've come up with that makes us us. Um, and I, I thought it was interesting. The introduction of that is sort of like a way to get her to, to go along with, you know, we're on this train and we've got to go toward, and then it being used at the end as a, like, this is a way we identify each other. And, and, you know, I could see, a, a further along down the line of them meeting up again and him not recognizing her. Right. Cause she'll be so much older and her use, oh, yeah. using that to identify herself to him and then him understanding who she is kind of a thing. It's sort of like a secret gesture or, or signal. Mm-hmm. yeah or maybe yeah. the other way around um maybe that's why she sent the flute back to him so that she would recognize him later down the road there definitely does seem to be this this sense that they that sh- she at least wants to reconnect with him and and he's obviously reluctant to let her go you know that that line toward the end you know we will plunder all the sweets in the galaxy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That was just, it was a sweet moment just to see his care for her to like, not only have to let her go, but to encourage her to go. Cause he knows that it's better for her to go. Yeah. 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 There's so a how'd lot you guys of... like that Jedi lady. <laughs> <laughs> that was a fun fight scene. That really was. Oh, it's it great. Oh, yeah. Kind of reminiscent of like Yoda and Dooku. Like she's all kind of yes, crone like, and their walking stick, and then suddenly she breaks it apart into two, st- and she's full on style two <laughs> fighting. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> I want an old granny lightsaber someday. That'd be awesome. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. She was. She was. Um. I mean, from the moment she came on screen, I kind of suspected she was a Jedi. Um, you know, kind of, she she kind of appeared. There there were a couple of the other people at the Daba who were fighting, and um, she came in and just put an end to it. You know, it's like you know, no, we keep peace here. This is a this is a place of peace and safety. Yeah, and so 
I wasn't maybe as surprised as they wanted me to be, but I certainly was delighted. And I thought she was a great match for that Inquisitor. Oh my goodness, I loved the Inquisitor. <laughs> can can we just take a moment to to respect the magnificence of his mustache? He, he did look like he had spent some top quality credits on that stash. Like it was a well manicured, yeah. taken care of, <laughs> slicked up greased yeah. mustache. That, that was that was sharp. <laughs> Yeah. It was just that classic villain esque to him, you know, the green skin, the reddish eyes, you know, and then the mustache. Oh, you yeah. know, you just needed a little ooh. -ha -ha. <laughs> yeah. A little twirl, twirl the mustache going on, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness, he's magnificent. <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah, that that whole sequence at the Daba was um was fantastic i mean they they come to it and the first thing that that um Chiruk says is there's our destination um but when they arrive it's like you can eat here but you gotta keep moving on i the, it, it wasn't really there, there are a couple things that weren't explained really explicitly and um and I don't think I, I mind that, like, from a storytelling perspective, because, you know, ultimately it doesn't really matter. And I think it was enough, like, I filled in, oh, they heard that this Daba was a place that they could go to be safe. And they maybe didn't know exactly how or why, but, you know, I, I'm thinking that the the Jedi matron was maybe putting out the word to to call refugees and especially force sensitive refugees from the empire. Um, yeah, you kind of get the feel like their dad knew where to send him, right? He he told this boy, "Okay, take her and go and you're going to go to this place." Why? Because yeah. because you'll be safe there. And what that means isn't isn't like you said it's never explicitly stated but i think you're right i think it it kind of harkens back to some kind of information network that says this is a safe place for people who are being hunted by the empire for one reason or another without bringing the whole force word into it because <laughs> that can get you yeah, in trouble. yeah the other the other thing that i i kind of had a question about was who was it that was levitating all the dishes of food um, we know the first time it was Ronnie and she was kind of playing with her brother, kind of levitating the, the food above his head. And he's like, stop playing. We can't, this is not something to play around with. And, um, and, and she shows that she doesn't have complete control because she can't put it down gently. She ends up like spilling it on that other guy. Um, but then during, when, when the Inquisitor is interrogating them, um, I, I don't know. Who, what did you think was going on there? As soon as Ronnie said, it's not me, and the way she said it, you had to know that there was someone else there trying to be the distraction. Mm -hmm. to try to, you know, and then not only that, but then once everything started swirling around, 
and you have that great scene of like Ronnie's running and the Inquisitor's after her and everything else seems like it's in slow motion. You knew that there was someone else there helping. And so that's when I was like, oh, it's got to be the old woman. <laughs> yeah, that was that was my takeaway is this was a, you know, the storm's coming and I'm going to use this as a distraction you know, as much as I don't want to cause a fight in my own bar, I'm I'm going to cause a fight in my own bar in order to distract the 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 yeah. so I can take the stormtroopers out and then deal with the inquisitor on on its own. That's it. That and that's that's the interpretation that I think Wikipedia took as well. But I read it as I read it differently. I read it as the inquisitor levitating all of those things in order to trick her into saying it's not me i'm not doing it i that's not what i did before in order to kind of admit that she could do something like that can almost play it both ways then i guess maybe yeah he was levitating but then the storm was the woman yeah i think i took the storm as as just like a natural phenomenon i don't know Interesting. I know. It, it seemed too perfectly laid out to help them get to you, each other and eliminate the other threats. You're you're absolutely right, though, that when they start chasing each other around, and like, yeah, Ronnie and the Inquisitor are moving at normal speed, but everything else is in slow motion. I was like, oh, now this this is really a fantastic depiction of what it's like to be using the force. And I, I mean, we, we see, we see Jedi do all kinds of things that require like incredible speed or, or reaction time or, or things like this. Um, but this is the first time I think I've seen it like from the inside, like it, mm-hmm. it feels like everybody else, like the whole rest of the world just slows down. Mm-hmm. And and oh no, this inquisitor behind me is is moving he, just he as fast as I am. Down. Oh no, he's <laughs> not slowing down. down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That that for me, from a visual perspective, that's where it became the most game like because um, oh, interesting. Uh, the the shot of um, Ronnie with the third person like hovering kind of right behind her where you're following her that's like traditional third person when you're playing a video game of how sure, you know, sure. And so it, it became like even more video game <laughs> like for me from a, <laughs> from a, like an art artistic perspective so I, and that's that's kind of where it hit home to me i was like i was like why this reminds me of a lot of stuff and i can't figure out why and then that scene really hit it home for me i'm like oh that's why it's a thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'd oh, be a man. tough scene to play in a video game. <laughs> oh, yeah. There'd be lots of timed events. She had to hit just right. Yeah. Oh, come on. It did it again. Oh. <laughs> Run, dodge. Oh, plate. <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. I, I and, and then, of course, we, we already talked about that fantastic fight when the the matron kind of steps in um to protect her and and to challenge the inquisitor directly we were talking about like the 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 british 
Indian kind of resonances um, that I think kind of came through for me in the the Inquisitor's just utter disdain, like a Jedi in Golak. <laughs> it's like, how could you have a Jedi here? It's like, you know, you know, like it, it struck me as like a, you know, a colonial British person saying, uh, what something, something of my civilization here in this, in this uncivilized place. And, and yeah, I don't know that, that I thought was a really interesting like there wasn't much to the Inquisitor's character, but that gave him a lot of depth for me. Yeah. Like this is this is the kind of evil that that he represents. Yeah, he definitely was pulling a superiority complex there. Like, how can you be here? Ooh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then that ends up being like the last thing he says with the wound on his throat, even. And it's sort of, yeah. it's, it's at that moment, it's like both like incredulous and, and sort of like he's laughing and you can't really tell if he's laughing at himself or the whole situation or just like the absurdity of all of this. Like he's going down because of this Jedi in Golak of all places. <laughs> yeah. You can believe it himself. It's, it's funny even as he's dying. <laughs> yeah. Almost a sense of wonder. even. Yeah. It's like. Wow, who'd have thought that there would be a Jedi in gold? And almost kind of like, yeah. you guys played us good, because we never would have figured out <laughs> that there was a Jedi <laughs> here. Yeah, yeah. And yet they know more are coming, and so they they, they rush to escape, and um, I don't know if there was any intentionality behind, you know, the parting of the waters to lead to freedom. Um, that's certainly an image that's, that resonates a lot with us, with us as Catholics. Um, but, um, little baptism to her new life as a Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Hmm. Does she also bathe in the living waters? <laughs> hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Never know. Tell you what though, that bar has the best backdoor exit of any bar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> true. True. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. So I I want to talk a little bit about this. I apologize, but so I'm going to call her the Jedi grandmother. And I'm saying that uh-huh. because we had another mother in an earlier visions episode. Screech's uh-huh. reach. We had the Sith mother. And doing mm-hmm. a compare and contrast on these two scenes where the force potential goes along with the grandmother or the Sith mother. It's very interesting to me how different they are. Because in Screecher's Reach, you have the Sith mother show up and she, you know, is adamant. I can't remember the main character's name because I couldn't then either. But, (laughs) um, (laughs) you know, no, this isn't for your friends. This is just for you. And you have the same message coming from the Jedi. Yes. This isn't for, for them. You know, sorry. This is safe for her, but not for you. But it's 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 kind of a different setup because the character in Screechers Reach is trying to escape, you know, her world. She's trying to get to something bigger and better and try to do something with her life or something of that nature. You know, there's there's 
there's better lives than this, right? Whereas uh, Ronnie is trying to escape persecution or death or, mm, or mm-hmm. you know, being frozen in jail at the bottom of an inquisitorial thing on some world, whatever that was <laughs> in, uh, in Obi-Wan. <laughs> um, you have the Sith mother coming down, down in a ship with like blazing light coming out. Whereas the Jedi grandmother is coming up from the ground, parting waters, and you have to go down into the darkness um, to go into the Jedi versus up into the light as the Sith. Like it's, there's a lot of little, like, intricate just, juxtapositions they did with these. I don't think the two studios talked about it at all, but they did this really well. Like they're they're very much uh, connected, um, and it and in the end. Um, the character in um, Screecher's Reach is like looking back as like the, the door is closing and almost looks like a trap closing around her. And she is right. got that sort of, um, you know, please be okay with this. And at the same time, I'm afraid of what I'm doing. Whereas Ronnie mm-hmm. kind of goes in and like they do their little bandit symbol and everything's okay and we're going to be fine, you know. And she's she gets the lollipop and goes in and then you have the the uh, flute come up from the water and sort of this, the completely different feeling you're left at the end of those two scenes where screeches reach. You're kind of like, you're terrified for the child. Whereas in Ronnie's case, you're like, she's going to be okay. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and I think you, those are the feelings of the characters in play. Like um, the gal from the girl from screeches reach her makeshift friend family there. They're all scared for her. Um, and, yep. but Ronnie's brother is, he's like, okay, finally she's safe. I got to figure out what I'm going to do with my life, but she's safe, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I, I was just sitting there watching it for the third or fourth time. And I was like, and it just like, like a Mack truck hit me. I'm like, oh my gosh, these two scenes, <laughs> they're, they're almost the same, <laughs> but like completely different, like, like turned on each other's heads. They're like a yin and a yang almost. Yeah. <laughs> It fits a quote I saw recently, and I'm, I don't know if I'm going to get this completely right, but it was that evil never shows you its naked truth. It always disguises itself in like a vain glory that you perceive as truth. And that's kind of like the way the Sith mother was, where she was just like covered in her glorious glow and yet she was the evil that that girl should have been avoiding all along and yet a lot of times we'll see truth as just ugly boring and there was the grandma jedi who is just kind of like you know simple granny you're not expecting it from her and yet she had the truth well that's what came to mind (laughs) Yeah, the um oh I'm forgetting the the passage that you know even the enemy can disguise himself as an angel of light. Um but on the other hand we must you know take up our cross and follow Christ and and be buried with him in baptism, right? So going down into the earth with him and and so there's that ironic reversal of in order to to find the true light you must go into the darkness and to 
recognize the darkness. You must see through the false light. Um, yeah. Oh, now I want to know if these two studios talk to each other. Because <laughs> so cool. the more you think about it, you're like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> they did an amazing job. Yeah. 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 yeah Sorry yeah. if I do real things. It just, like, like, it hit me and I was like. No, oh, no, that's a really interesting insight. Um, yeah, I love I love the ideas it's sparking. And, and I wish we could spend more time talking about it. Um, but we have to talk about another thing. Uh, episode that also has to do with darkness and light in in an interesting way um so the the next episode um episode eight is called the pit and in it a group of prisoners are forced to dig for kyber crystals forming a deep pit in the middle of the desert um, a city grows just beyond the pit based on the wealth that's produced from this mine. And the prisoners are abandoned when the Kyber finally runs out. Um, one young miner named Crux climbs out of the pit and goes to the city to beg them for help. But there are stormtroopers there who catch him and drag him back to the pit and throw him down to his death. His death, though, inspires a young girl among the prisoners named Livy to raise the voices of all the prisoners, calling on the city folk to follow the light. The citizens come out to see the pit, bringing the light with them, the light of the city with them. And the number of them overwhelms even the stormtroopers, and they are able to rescue the prisoners from the pit. Um, and yeah, I mean the the we were talking about the imagery of darkness and light, and um, how that isn't always clearly intuitive. Um, but again, back to you, Catherine the artistic style of this um where where did it take you and and what what did you see in it oh this took me back to a lot of the uh superhero stuff i used to like to watch in the 1970s and early 80s it has that comic book superhero feel and then also it had me thinking about um the art style that was done in ricky tiki tabby and the white seal i don't know if you remember those two um cartoons mm, no. one of them's about a mongoose oh, who saves the yeah. family from a cobra yeah. yes and then the other one's the white seal who um is basically trying to save his herd of seals by taking them into a island that almost looks like a pit but shelters them from being hunted so it's kind of fascinating how it drew me back to some childhood memories and again watching the behind the scenes for this was fascinating listening to the long journey that um, the creator was on with this. He's been working with uh, Lucasfilms and Star Wars design for quite some time. And then finally being able to produce this and had a great team to work with um, in Japan also. And I am so jealous of the computers to get to work on. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I do a lot of hand drawing, but people won't realize it's hand drawing because I'm actually drawing on a, special computer tablet so it allows me mm. to i'm just drawing with 
a different tool. You know, some people draw with pencil and paper, and a lot of times I'll start with pencil and paper sketch, and then those sketches, and then I'll redraw onto my computer so I can manipulate them quickly and come up with ideas. And they're kind of, we're doing the same thing. So this whole thing was technically hand-drawn, but it was hand-drawn on the computer to allow them to incorporate a lot of different things, including light and color and changes and things like that. So that style, kind of that 1970s, you know, hero style, I fit fit really well, especially, you know, following what Crux went through in this. I mean, I was not happy he fell to his death. (laughs) I mean, falling falling to your death is, is kind of a traditional Star Wars way to go, but the... It's also usually done in order to avoid showing the dead body. And this, I, I was, I was kind of impressed with how they showed Crux's body without showing like the, the graphic violence or gore that they, they basically just showed his boots um, there on the ground. Um, and watching it again, he was the third person to fall. He just fell from the top. But when other people were trying to crawl out, they were at relatively high heights. But mm. when they fell, you only saw them disappear into the crowd and people react. So uh-huh. it kind of took a second watching to see. And they're like, oh my gosh, it was foreshadowing. You know, it was going to be bad as soon as he got to the top. Yeah. Yeah, it was, um, considering how short it was, they, they did a powerful job of, of like just connecting you to the characters and the intensity of their struggle, I thought. Definitely had a lot of themes that have been available in other shows that kind of help you get into it. Yeah. We have like those, that episode arc from Andor. Uh, where he is like is literally almost the same situation, right? It's a bunch of prisoners building something for the empire, but that's kind of the enforced yeah. prisoner slave labor sort of a deal. It's just in a different setting in a different situation, but it was the same kind of a deal. You know, we're stuck here. Like they're never going to let us out. Like even when our time's up um, and the whole, you know, their chant was the one way out. Right. Whereas this was, this is follow the line, yeah. uh, which we eventually get to, but it's the same sort of, like, I think if you've watched Andor, then the minute they hit the ground and you, you see them all in the same uniform, you know what's going on. Like, you know instantly. Like, this is the Empire doing something terrible, <laughs> as it always yeah, does. Yeah, yeah. Although, as, as you're saying that, the differences really strike me um, as well, because... In Andor, the the big argument was nobody is going to help us. We have to do everything ourselves. We have to break out of this ourselves. No one is coming for us. No one is going to help us. We have one way out, and that's our own strength and initiative. Whereas in The Pit, there's this sense that no, we need to find help. We need to get help from others. We can't do this on our own, 
But if we just, if people just see the injustice of our situation, they will help us. Um, and, and that kind of difference, not only in like the practical situation, but in the, the, the estimation of the human, like the, the orientation of the human soul, like Andor is in a sense, very cynical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not just practically no one is going to help us. It's nobody wants to help us. Nobody cares. Whereas in the pit, the message is people will care if they see if they follow their own inner light, everyone has that inner light. Um, and they'll do what is right if they follow their light. Um, and even, even, even Crux climbing out, you know, wasn't able to make it on his own. There was that, um, that sort of mole armadillo creature. Yeah, a cool little critter <laughs> making the hand oh, holds yeah. down. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I remember like, like just visually, I was thinking, um, man, this reminds me a lot of, um, like the Christopher Nolan dark Knight um, sequence where Bruce Wayne is climbing out of that pit. But, but in this animation, I found it much more moving partly because the stakes were higher yeah. and partly because he wasn't doing it on his own. He was trusting in the help of, of others. Yeah. And it was fascinating too. In the behind the scenes, they talk about um, the audio that they did for that sequence. We're down in the pit. You hear the echoing and it's almost like a hopeless echo. And then as he gets up and out of the pit, he's, he becomes clearer and clearer in his voice. And so then when he gets into the city, he has his full voice and uh, no echo, but just projection of, hey, there's something going on out there that you don't know about. You know, you got to know that we need you, you know. So I thought that was that was pretty well done. Just, you know, acoustically, the escape yeah. from the pit. Yeah. But it was interesting. It really makes you think about sometimes how we get so disconnected from each other. You know, like we, we miss the source of what, you know, what we use every day. You think about the people in that city there, probably had no idea, you know, where the kyber crystals came from, where their energy source came from, where their city came from. And we get so disconnected from that in everyday life. It, I thought this was a, a good way for people to start thinking about, you know, when you buy something, where does it come from? Who made yeah. it? <laughs> We're not alone in this, you know. Nobody's surviving on their own. We're so connected. What did you think about Livy's character? Like her sweet, you know, her innocence and all this was just fascinating, considering where she was raised, down in the pit, and yet still held on to, you know, much like, uh, uh, we just saw her in the previous one. Was it Ronnie? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. She had that, that sweet innocence, you know, that, that touch of the light within, as Crux would tell her. Yeah, her her existence is, like, it's problematic to me because I'm like, how is she there? 
Like, because everybody else is an adult. And she's this kid who is a prisoner. Or that they were like, let's send her mining. And I'm like... I think there were other kids down there? there. But either way, like, that's... But, but they were they were definitely in the yeah, background. Yeah, she's yeah. the only one who's... Who's prominent. Strikes me as like a well, and there is a question mark about like how long have they been down there? Like how long did it take that pit to get that deep and for the city to get built? Because you kind of have that, um, that rather magnificent uh, montage sequence with the pit getting yeah. deeper and the city getting bigger in the background and the construction yeah. going on. Um, but I like just there there being kids down there. Um, it's that's kind of horrific in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, because he does say when he's in the city and he's he's on top and he's talking to all the people, he says there are children down there, and that that seems to cue a lot of people in the crowd to be like, wait a minute, there are kids in this pit, you know. Um, so she isn't the only one. You're you're right. You're definitely right about that. I just like in my mind, I'm like, why would you ever conscript conscript children for mining, <laughs> like? And and then you know, but hey, it's the empire, right? Yeah, small nimble fingers to look for shiny yeah, rocks. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that's that is the yeah. striking part about her character. She, despite the horrificness of the situation she's in, and um, she still believes in in the light, right? And that people will do the right thing as long as they see the injustice or know about it. Um, is a very extremely hopeful character. Well, it's a hope she gets directly from Crux, right? Um, that's where this kind of had a heart and here's a who kind of feel to it. Okay. Yeah. You know, where they're like, we are here or whatever they were yelling down in the, in the little fluff. (laughs) And yet it took one small voice to make it project out to everyone and then same thing here you know follow the follow light follow the light follow the light yeah yeah um again i don't know what the um intention was behind the naming of the characters but crux of course means cross you know and and it makes him in a way, a, a, uh, I don't know if he's quite a, a Christ figure, but he's certainly a prophetic figure who gives his life for those he loves. And Livy, the one who lives, um, and, and kind of brings life to the community. I don't know. Just interesting residences. That makes sense. And she, she, yeah, obviously she's got a connection with the 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 kyber crystal itself because uh, when she gets the whole group chanting and it it appears like they all have some connection to it you know just maybe potentially because mm. they mind it but um she seems to be a focal or a magnifier for them because once they get the chant going in the pit it starts affecting the city's coloration like you see the whole city just starts lighting up like in in tone to their follow the light, uh, and that's where everybody starts making their way out of the city to the pit. Um, mm-hmm. And you see the t- the two stormtroopers. Oh no, this is bad. <laughs> we gotta call for backup. <laughs> call for backup. 
I'm trying to remember <sighs> the first time we see them find that larger kyber crystal. I don't remember it singing in the same way that the smaller kyber crystals sang for Livy. Hmm. Yeah. It's just that little bit of like the crystal singing. And they always say that it like, it has a, a voice that only it's Jedi can hear. Well, and, and it, you know, very clearly turns blue at the end, kind of, mm-hmm. um, you know, signifying, I think that, that she has a calling, a vocation to wield a blue lightsaber. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I like yeah. I also like the connection between this this one and the next one, um, Aura Song. Because they both um granted it's a chant in one and it's song in the other, but they both use, you know, their God given vocal instrument their voice to awaken the Kyber crystal. Uh and I, I really thought that was an interesting connection between these two. This but both of them, these two small girls who were trying to accomplish something granted very different things but they're they're both using their voices to awaken the crystal uh, that was an interesting mm-hmm. interesting concept to me or connect connection yeah 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 i don't want to uh, <laughs> i, I want to jump into that but it's like nope come on that's come that's on. our next episode <laughs> no teaser yeah, till next time you're welcome, you're welcome. <laughs> oh man well, well, maybe this is a good point to say. Are are there any uh, final thoughts, um, connections between these two episodes, or or uh, connections between these episodes and the rest of the series? We we definitely have talked about themes of light and darkness, and um, and how yeah, in in the pit, absolutely, you know, the it's finding that light in the midst of darkness. Um, kind of kind of a similar thing we were talking about comparing um the bandits of of Gulak to uh Screechers Reach kind of the 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 need to go through darkness to find the light um mm-hmm. i don't know yeah it's any other those, connections or thoughts or it's through those moments of struggle that i think we can grow the most. We can find that we need others and and find the light to help us to move on. Um, in our faith, even, you know, it's in those deepest struggles where we reach out to God and he'll give us the grace we need. He'll never leave us in a situation we can't handle without his grace. I, they're both, they're, uh, sorry, both, they're both very uh, hopeful. Um episodes and a lot of the ones these seasons have kind of ended on a very hopeful note um but these two these two in particular like very strong i think the in the stars was also a very strong hopeful ending um but these two you you kind of end on this like um we we did what we set out to do and it worked and um you know we got to safety basically in both of them um very different stories very different like um, settings and and kind of the background theme of what's going on, but they're both in sort of this uh, hopeful genre. I don't know, genre's not the right word, <laughs> but hopeful <laughs> subset of of episodes and um, in visions. Um, I always like the hopeful ones better. 
just because it make, makes you feel yeah. better at the end. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we all yeah. want hope. We all want something better to come along. There's nothing worse than getting stuck in the muck. It doesn't help. <laughs> yeah, I suppose you could you could say the plot of both of these episodes is the Empire was oppressing us, but with the help of with the help of others, we escaped that oppression. What's that? What's the line? Rebellions yeah. are built on hope. You know, and it's yeah, we, yeah. Somebody we said all that. Have to once, work together yeah. effectively, or or we're gonna. What's what's that? We all have to hang together, or for surely we will all hang separately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that was Ben Franklin. Uh, right? I think that was Washington, <laughs> if I remember right. Yeah. Oh, okay. But either way, one of the two fathers <laughs> of America. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we are definitely going to talk more about this, and and I hope um, when we talk about Ao Song, we'll also talk about the series as a whole. That'll um, and I just. Yeah, I don't think the the studios were talking to each other, but there are so many like connections and overlaps between all of these short films. It, it, I think I enjoyed season two even more than than season one of Visions, um, and I enjoyed season one quite quite a lot. So yeah, it's and the more I watch it, the more I pick up the connections. I'm like. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> this is like that other stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's always more to talk about. Um, as for you, our listeners, we would love to hear your thoughts as well. So give us your feedback. Drop us an email at starwars at sqpn.com. Uh, follow StarQuest on social media. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash starquestmedia. Uh, we're on Twitter, as long as Twitter is around, uh, <laughs> at SQPN. Um, uh, my favorite place is our Discord community, and you can get an invite there at sqpn.com slash discord. Um, you can also find previous and eventually future episodes of Secrets of Star Wars at our website, sqpn.com slash Star Wars. Uh, subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice. We are available everywhere that fine podcasts are streamed, and we even have a YouTube channel. Um, we'd like to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Star Wars and all the other uh, shows that we have on SQPN. So today we'd especially like to thank Lars S, Don H, Cindy M, Daniel C, and Barrett H. Your generous con contributions at sqpn.com slash give have made it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Wars and all of our StarQuest media. And any of you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So we'll be back next time to discuss the last episode of season two of Visions. Uh, until then, Catherine, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. Thanks for joining the Secrets of Star Wars. Yeah, great show. Follow the light. 
<laughs> and Patrick, uh, it's fantastic to have you here. Thanks for being on oh, the panel. It's great being here. I, I don't have a catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> Patrick, I don't have a catchphrase. Mason has joined us today. <laughs> you got one now. <laughs> And once again, I've been Robert King. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest. Here's another show on the StarQuest Network you're sure to enjoy. The Secrets of Doctor Who. Find the show wherever fine podcasts are found or at sqpn.com slash Doctor Who.